You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you, ladies, for that. Love that song. And, uh, you know, you've never gone back to him and uh, run, and he, it was, he says, okay, that was your last, you, you've already run out of chances. I mean, every time we need him, and this morning I taught in Sunday school, um, Jehovah Jireh, and Jehovah Jireh is that God sees our need before we ever know it's coming, and he provides an answer before we ever even knew we had a need. That's Jehovah Jireh, and I'm thankful that we have a God it's that sovereign and that omniscient and that omnipotent and he sees it and he has, I mean, so here's the, here's the key. And this isn't part of my notes, so don't start timing me yet. Not that Brother Mark does. You know, but if God spared not his son to die on the cross for your sins, do you really think there's any need in your life that he can't handle? Because your greatest need is, is the sin need in your life. And if God can answer that with his son, if God would be, if God is able to answer that with his son, and not only that, if God was willing to send his son to die on the cross for your needs, do you really think there's anything, any length he wouldn't be willing to go for whatever other needs you have? I mean, if you don't have anything else that that resonates with you this morning, let it be the fact that God is the supplier of our needs. He sees our needs before we know they come, and he provides an answer before we ever even even knew we had a need. And I hope that'll be an encouragement to you today. I I should just teach my Sunday school lesson again, because I'm kind of fired up about it. So Genesis chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, just today's text is, it really is a continuation of our passage last week, Genesis 14. And if you'll remember, that was about the four bullies. There were four bully kings led by a man named Keterlaomer, um, which, by the way, if you're looking for a good baby name for your son, Keterlaomer. I mean, it's, it really does pop, you know. So um, they had a reign of terror there in Canaan. Keterlaomer, these four bully kings, they, they wanted control of the trade route between e- Egypt in the, in the west and the Middle East, and, they, and it went right through Canaan. And so they had a reign of terror for, for a number of years. And after 12 years of servitude, these five kings in Canaan formed an alliance because they were tired of, of paying tribute. They were tired of being bullied. They were tired of, of being overcome and ruled and reigned over. And so these five kings, including the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, got together and said, enough is enough. So they went out to battle against the four bully kings and about in the valley of Sidim. And, and that's really where we're going to pick up. And so we're going to do a little bit of review, not much, from last week. And then read down through the end of the chapter. Let's begin in verse 11. So let's stand. Genesis 14, verse 11 is where we'll start this morning. If you're able to stand with us this morning. Verse 11, it says, And they, the, bully, or the, the bullies, the four bullies led by Keterlaomer, they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah... And all their vittles and went their way. And by the way, that word looks like victuals, but it is pronounced vittles. Don't think I'm just, well, he's from Oklahoma, so he don't know better. Look it up. Not right now, but later. Look it up. That word that looks like victuals is pronounced vittles. It's a good Oklahoma word. Okay. Verse 12. It says, And they took Lot 
Abram's brother's son, his nephew, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. By the way, that's the first name. The first time you see the word Hebrew in the Bible. And and the root of that word means basically they've come from afar or they're from somewhere else. The idea is they're nomadic or they're sojourners. And, And that really does sum up. Um, the, 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 the nation of Israel, sojourners. Their, uh, their, their citizenship really is somewhere else. Look at verse uh, 12, 13 again. It says, For he dwelt, that's Abram, dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with, with Abram. So at this point, the bullies, they won the fight. They took Keterlamer and his crew, they defeat the five king alliance, and they took the goods, they took the supplies from Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and they ran off with them. Sodom and Gomorrah had been running from them, and they fell into slime pits. So they really, they won the battle, the, the bullies did at first. Verse 14, it says, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. So somebody comes and tells Abram, that the that that these, the four king alliance had defeated the five king alliance and they had run off with Ab- with Abram's nephew Lot and uh, and really this turned out to be a turning point because Abram was of such a mind that he was prepared for something like this he had three hundred and eighteen and in my mind I imagine them as they're like green berets and may, well they're but they're Jewish so maybe like yarmulkes green green yarmulkes. Is what they're wearing. And these green yarmulkes, these green berets, 318 are prepared to go out and battle and get Lot back and fight for Abram. And Abram, by the way, who's likely almost 80 years old, he goes out with them. He pursues the enemy from one place to the next. He's dividing his his army and they go out and they fight the enemies and they get his nephew back. Look at verse 16. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And here's where our text begins. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedorlaomer and the kings that were with him at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed him, it says. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Um, So we see these two kings come, and one comes, King Sodom comes, and he pays Abram a visit, and he wants Abram to take the goods of of the spoils. But Melchizedek, this king of Salem, who we don't know a lot about, um, he comes and he has a totally different purpose for coming. Melchizedek's focus is not on, oh, look at all the spoils you can take from this. No, Melchizedek has a different focus. He's looking upward. Look at verse 19. It says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Melchizedek's focus is on heaven. Melchizedek fo- it comes focusing on the Most High God. And he's saying, you know what, Abram? God deserves the credit for what, what just happened in your life. 
You could say that if king of Sodom, if his view of focus was, was horizontal, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, his view is vertical. Look at verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me thy persons and take the goods to thyself. Verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even do a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner and Eshkel and Mamre, let them take their portion. But here's the idea. I won't take anything from you because I want all the credit for this victory to go to God where he, where he deserves it. Amen. And so today I want to evaluate our focus. Do we have a vertical focus or do we have a horizontal focus? And it primarily, primarily depends on who we're listening to. If we're influenced by the Sodom mentality, we're probably driven by the benefits. But if we're driven by a Salem mentality, we're more concerned about the blessings. So which focus do you have this morning? Is it on Sodom or Salem? We'll look at that as we go through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray you bless the reading of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It's common for things that we least expect to have the biggest impact. Has that ever happened to you? Where, you know, you do something small and you don't really think it's that big of a deal. But later you find out that that small act was actually a big deal to somebody. And that's happened, that happened to me even just this week. I, uh, for those of you that, that know, I, was, I preached at a, at, down in Oklahoma to a, a teenagers and, and college students and, and was able to, to, it was a great week. We had a good time and God seemed to use the preaching and we had a good time. There's about a thousand young people in this room. I'm just looking at the room and thinking about the potential. And so I was able to, to be there and, and have a part in that. But, but one of the young men that I saw there this week, I actually, I recognized him because uh, last summer we went to Bill Rice Ranch and a number of us went, took our young people to, to Tennessee to camp. And, uh, and we went there and, we, and there was a group there from Florida. And I remember this young man that was there in, from Florida, there in, at Bill Rice Ranch. He was there at college days, there at Heartland Baptist Bible College this week. And I recognized him and I, I remembered him because... Uh, his, his dad and mom, when I was a college student, I served as an internship at a church and his dad and mom were on staff. And so he wasn't born yet. I'm old, you know, he wasn't even born yet, but I, we, I knew his parents. And so when I saw his mom at camp and, and then I, she introduced me to him and for some reason he just, he just stands out to me. He's a, he's a very charismatic personality. He's obviously, he's very talented in football and basketball and and therefore, like many 17-year-old kids, you know, he's got a little cockiness to him. And so, I mean, I, I just took note of him and, and I talked to him a little bit at camp last summer. I see him this week and, and I go up to him and say hi and, and start striking a conversation with him. And we, we just kind of, we connected a little bit. Well, throughout the week, I noticed that he was very sensitive to the Lord. And on Thursday night... After everyone had done pray, had been gotten done praying and been dealt with at the altars, he was the last one there still praying. 
And so the Lord prompted me. I, I think the Lord was, you know, wanted me to reach out to him. And so I walked over to him and I, and I actually he had gotten up and I chased him and said, come back. I'd like to pray with you. So we got down and, and I prayed with him and just talked to him a little bit about the things God was dealing with him about. And uh, we just prayed for, I mean, no more than probably a minute. And then we, he was done. He went back to his seat. I went back to my seat. Well, the next day after the meeting was over and we were about to leave, he comes up to me and he gives me a big hug. And I was expecting him to say something like, I really, I really appreciate the preaching. That was great preaching. You know, you're thinking that's what he's going to say, but he didn't say that at all. He said, thank you for taking time to, to be my friend. Thank you for coming to pray with me yesterday. Thank you for basically just reaching out to me. And it wasn't about the preaching. In my mind, as the preacher, I'm thinking, well, the preaching, this message, this is what matters the most. In his mind, what mattered the most was the fact that the preacher would take time to talk to him. And it's very often that we assume the big things in our life are the things that define us. We think, well, you know, the big things, the, the public things, the upfront things, those are the things that define me. And yet when I talk to other people or even in my own life, when I think about it, it's not the big things that, have, that define us. That's usually not what people think of. I mean, when I was a kid and I was 10 years old, I remember my parents, uh, we took a trip to Disneyland and that was the highlight vacation of my childhood. And it was amazing. I loved it. But honestly, even right now, uh, I remember more the, t- the fact that my dad would come to my football and baseball games and cheer me on in the stands. I'm more grateful for that. I mean, usually he was yelling at me about something. <laughs> Jason, you know, I was, that's what I remember. I was messing up. But you know what? He, I don't remember him ever missing a game. And honestly, that means a lot more to me than the fact that they took us to Disneyland. And it's, it's, it's good for us to remember that it's more about time spent than money spent. It's more about a conversation and, than it is a vacation sometimes. It's often more about the right word at the right time than the greatest birthday gifts. You know, people that have the right perspective on things, they know this. And I've known parents that buy their, their, their children all kinds of great gifts and, and, and everything they want through childhood, and, but they don't make much of a time investment. And then they wonder why their children are, aren't as close as they get older, because it's not always the big things that define us. And something similar is happening with Abraham or Abram. We might assume that, that the most important part of this story was the first 16 verses. See, the first 16 verses, man, I mean, this is like a, this is a, a war picture. It's, a, it's an action-packed story. And you've got four kings and you've got five kings. And, and the four kings have been, ha, have been ruling and reigning in terror for 12 years. And the five kings are like, we're fed up with this. So they get together. They go out to fight the four kings. And yet the four kings still win. And Abram hears about it. And he takes his green yarmulkes. And they, they go chase them across the countryside And they capture them. And Abram, who's 80 years old, is leading the charge. And they go defeat these kings with just the men that he's trained and a few others from the area. And they go defeat these kings that have been ruling in terror. And you just think, well, yes, that's the defining moment of Abram's life. And yet, not even close. It's not always the big things that define us. It's not always the upfront things that that are what define us. And, And that's what's happening with Abram. See, listen... Um, Abram, it, it's, this text is not about Abram as a warrior. This text is about Abram as a worshiper. 
Christian, be careful of presuming that the big things define you. You're not primarily about what you are in public. If you're involved in special music, and I say this, I mean, my my girls were up here singing just a minute ago, and I think about, I want them to understand that, yes, if you stand and sing in front of people, that is not what defines you. That's not where your value comes from just because you sing a special. No, you're much more defined with what you do behind closed doors when it's just you and God. Teachers don't view your role as a teacher as, as something that, that puts you on a different level than anybody else. Well, no, it's, it's, your, it's your responsibility behind, public, behind closed doors as a worshiper that really defines you. It's not leadership or being out front or doing the biggest, most significant things. Uh, it is about what you do behind closed doors. It is about your view of God. Is it about your role as a worshiper, not your role as a warrior? Who you are in the small moments most accurately defines you. And as impressive as Abram the warrior was, he was more defined by worship. He was an altar builder that was much more significant to God than his wartime strategy. Plenty of people can fight. But honestly, not very many people worship. There's fights going on all over the place in our culture, isn't there? But you tell me how many are accurately, truly, biblically worshiping God on a regular basis and we'd be surprised at how small the number really is. Who Abram really was is revealed by a visit from two kings. The first king comes along and he's the king of Salem and we don't know exactly how it worked. It seems like they came at the same time. You've got the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. We'll look at the king of Salem, Melchizedek, this man comes along and we don't honestly, we don't know much about Melchizedek. He's a mystery. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he came from. We don't know, uh, but we do know he's a worshiper of the one true God, which there weren't very many of those in Abram's day. Verse 18, it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now, Melchizedek, the name means king of righteousness. So we know that Melchizedek is a righteous man. We also know he's the king of Salem. And this refers to the, the, the place name, um, an early name for the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Salem, which is actually a derivative of the word shalom, which means peace. So this is a man that comes. His name is Melchizedek. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of Salem, which, is, which implies peace. And verse 18 tells us he was the priest of the most high God. So he represents righteousness. He represents peace. And he serves and is a priest for the most high God of heaven. He's a king, he's a priest, and he serves the same God that Abram does. And this is much more, there's a lot more material on Melchizedek. We could read Psalm 110, which is a prophecy comparing the seed of David or or Jesus Christ, comparing Jesus Christ to Melchizedek. We could go to Hebrews 7. It talks about Melchizedek. It compares him to Christ. This is a type of Jesus Christ. Some believe it's an actual appearance of Jesus Christ. I don't know for sure. I do know that there is plenty, though, in this picture that pictures Jesus Christ. The fact that he's a priest and a king is a picture of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, the priest for Israel, the priest came from, you remember which tribe? They came from the tribe of Levi. Well, the, the David, though, was of the tribe of Judah. So all of David's descendants were from the tribe of Judah. The priests were from the tribe of Levi. So, Levi, so the, the kings weren't priests at the same time. Uh, the kings were from Judah. The Levites were the priests. Well, when Jesus Christ came, he is king and he's priest. 
He sits on the right hand of his father. He rules the universe with his father. He He is the king, but he's also our high priest. He goes to the Father on the behalf of sinners and he, he, he pleads the blood for us. He goes and I read even just this morning that we have not an high priest not touched with the feeling of infirmity, but, but we have a high priest that goes to God. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and, and obtain mercy. He has grace to help in the time of need. He's our high priest. He's working on our behalf. He is both king and he is priest. That's why this is a picture of Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be the Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. So he comes along and he blesses Abram. And this is interesting too, because um, in Genesis, over in Genesis chapter 12, we remember the, the call of God for, to Abram out of the earth, the Chaldees. And he says, uh, I want you to leave your, your kindred and your country. And, and I want you to go to a place I haven't even shown you yet. And I'll bless them that bless you, curse them that curse you. Um, you will be blessed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed of you. You remember the prophecy, the promise, the covenant that God made with Abram. And as we go through the life of Abram, we can't forget that that's happening. See, the God made that promise over in Genesis 12, and he will not let that fall. This is a covenant from God to Abram. Melchizedek come and re- comes and reminds Abram that you have a promise on your life. God is going to bless you. He is blessing you. And, and it's, it's showing up in his life right now. And we see all these stories of things happening in Abram's life. And it gives us confidence that God keeps his promises. And I'm thankful for that. Verse 19, he blessed him. He said, blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 20, it says, and blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Even though Melchizedek comes, and I know there's a lot of background, but I want us to understand the text here. Even though he blessed Abram, I want you to consider the focus. And when you read it, do you get the idea that Abram's blessing from Melchizedek, it's not about Abram, it's all about God. He comes along, he's not saying, Abram, man, you did really good. I mean, you did really good, and, and I think God's going to be happy. Abram, you're the man. No, he comes along and says, no, this is the most high God. He possesses heaven and earth. He's the one doing the blessing. He's the one, Abram, defeating your enemies. It was God's power, Abram, that allowed you to rescue Lot from those kings and take all the goods and take all the people home. Notice the phrase that he mentions four times or is mentioned four times. Look again at verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the what? Read it with me. Look at the end of verse 18, the last three words. What does it say? Most high God. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the what? Most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 20, and he blessed be the what? Most high God. Look down to verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the what? Most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. You get the idea here? See, this is an emphasis. This phrase is actually the Hebrew word. And, and in Sunday school, we've been going in this class in here, we've been going through the Old Testament names of God. Today, we looked at Jehovah Jireh. And I, again, I'm fired up about Jehovah Jireh because he sees our need. I already preached that. Okay, I'm not going to do it again. But he provides it before we ever knew we had a need. Yet this name, Most High God, is actually a Hebrew name for God. And this is El Elyon. E-L, which means God, E-L-Y-O-N, Elyon. And that means that he is God, but he's the highest. 
And really, there's no God beside him, but it's just to emphasize the fact that there is nobody higher than God. God rules the universe. God reigns over the universe. God owns everything. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. There's nobody higher than God. There's nobody with more authority. There's nobody with more resources. So what he's telling Abram, and I want you to get this part, he's saying, it seems like you're the man right now. This was a great victory. And honestly, Abram, listen, there are going to be people coming to you. They're going to be giving you all kinds of props. They're going to be giving you all kinds of credit. They're going to be saying, you are the man. We want to be around you. We want to be aligned with you. Uh, your fame is going to increase. Your notoriety will increase. I mean, these, these kings have reigned for 12 years. And they, it's been a reign of terror. And yet you went in with your 318 and you took them out. I mean, people are going to be coming and saying, Abram, I want to be around you. But let me remind you something, Abraham or Abram. Let me remind you of this. That is the most high God that gave you the victory. It's the most high God that defeated your enemies. The most high God is the one that blessed you by cursing your enemies. He's the one that gave you strength as an 80-year-old to go fight. He's the, the one that gave you 318 trained green berets ready to fight. It is only because the most high God was involved that you have all of this spoil and all of these goods and you have all these people that you've rescued. So Abram, don't lose sight of what happened here. This wasn't about you. This is about the most high God, El Elyon. And if you're not careful, you will be tempted to benefit from this, humanly speaking. But I'm here to tell you, Abram, that, that you already have everything you need because the most high God, El Elyon, is already working on your behalf. That's a pretty good sermon. That's a pretty good message coming from Melchizedek. And it comes at a great time because right after victory is when we're most inclined to think, well, we did something pretty good. It's right after victory, right after something good happens in our life that we're tempted to say, oh, man, that was pretty impressive, actually. I don't know if anybody else noticed that. You ever ever seen somebody make a trick shot in in a basketball gym? What is the first thing they do? They throw up a a crazy shot. The first thing you do is look around and say, anybody else see that? You guys see that? Well, I mean, if I just make a free throw or a layup, I'm doing that. You guys see? See what I just did? Well, we, I mean, after something good goes down, you're usually kind of thinking, did y'all, did you guys see that? So right after the victory, we're inclined to think pretty good of ourselves, but it's right before the temptation comes. We've got to be careful because in that gap from the victory to the temptation, we might start to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And it's only because of God that we have any victory or anything good in our lives. And it came at the right time for Abram because Melchizedek comes and says, no, listen, you serve the most high God. This wasn't about you. You had nothing to do with this. And yeah, you were trained, but listen, it's only by God's grace that you had those trained men with you. It's only by God's grace that everything in the battle happened the way it did so that you could come out with a victory. It's only by God's grace. It's only by God's help. It's because you serve the most high God and he's already acting on your behalf. That's the only reason, Abram, that you had this victory right now. And there's this space. And this isn't the point of my message, but in some ways I wish I would have made it the point. There's this space after victory and before temptation that we might start to think we're better than we are. And I'll tell you, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. See, right after this victory, and you've had something real good, you're standing real strong, and you don't see the curb. 
You don't see the obstacle in your way because your head's held high. And what, what Abram is, what's happening to him from Melchizedek is he, Melchizedek comes along and he, and he lets Abram say, no, listen, it's time for you to be humble again. We don't have an indication that Abraham was full of pride, but I know if it was me and I just went out with 318 and defeated these kings, I might be thinking I'm something special. So Abram, as a sign that he sees it clearly, he gives tithes to Melchizedek because he recognizes the most high God is the only reason I have any blessings. It's only natural to worship when God proves himself. Abram is seeing God's role in his blessings clearly. And it's a good thing because here comes the king of Sodom. So you've got the king of Salem and you've got the king of Sodom. And they both want Abram's ear. One of them is focused vertically. The other, king of Sodom, is focused horizontally. Verse 21, look what he says. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. He comes along and he says, now listen, all the people you rescued, a lot of them were our people from Sodom. So he comes along and says, now Abram, listen, if you just give me the people, I'll take them back to Sodom. But anything that you took, all the goods, all the resources, you can just keep all those. I'll take the people. I'll let you have all the rest. You just keep the change. That's what he says. And can you imagine if these, if these kings led by Keterlaomer, if they were really were as powerful as everyone says then can you imagine, they probably took a lot of stuff. They probably had all kinds of goods, all kinds of resources. You might call it spoils. They had all kinds of stuff that they were able to take. So this was not a small offer, folks. This was an offer that would have made Abram even more rich than he already was, and he was already a wealthy man. And if Abram hadn't just been reminded that he owes all of his success to Elion, he might have been tempted, but he's not. Look at verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth. He says that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that's thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. See, Abram sees it clearly, and he knows that receiving this portion from Sodom could mean two things. It could mean, number one, it could mean the king of Sodom would after that go around and starting to claim that he had made Abram rich. He might go around and take credit that only God deserves. The second thing, though, and this is more looking into the future, is that Abram knew that if he had this, if he received the goods from the hands of the king of Sodom, then, then Sodom may come back a little bit later and expect there to be an alliance. He may come back later and say, I've seen Abram battle. I've seen his men and they are prepared. And now the next time there's trouble, guess who king of Sodom comes running to for help? He may come back right back to Abram and say, listen, I need your help. Would you come help me? But here's the issue. Abram knew what kind of place Sodom was. Genesis 13, verse 13, look at it. It says, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So listen, he didn't want a place like that taking credit for the blessings he'd received from God. So when Melchizedek comes with this offer, you know, as the kids say these, day, these days, that's a hard pass. It's a hard pass. Meaning he said, no, listen, King of Sodom, I, I appreciate the offer. I appreciate what you're doing. 
But I don't want you to go back and tell people that I am where I'm at because of your hand. And not only that, I don't want in the future for you to come back and use this as leverage and say, well, we gave you that stuff earlier, so would you come and fight for us now? Because he knows the kind of place that Sodom is. He knows the kind of wickedness and the kind of sin and the kind of debauchery that's taking place over there. And he had just been reminded that El Elyon, the most high God, he's the actual source of my success. So listen, the most important part of this story, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. But be careful of aligning yourself with the wickedness of the world because as soon as you do, they'll take credit for your success and they're going to seek further alignments. And that's not even the point of the text either. And I wish it was. I've got a lot of sermons I could have brought out of this today. But it's good for us to remember that we ought to be careful of aligning ourselves with the world if they're not full of righteousness. Young people, listen, it's very easy for a young person to align themselves because they want friends and they want to be accepted and they want these things in their life. But you've got to be very discerning of the kind of other young people you surround yourself with. And I preach this a lot because it says, um, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And listen, Sodom is full of fools. And a young person that aligns themselves with the mentality of Sodom, that it's all about the benefits and it's all about the gain and it's all about the goods and it's all about the stuff everybody can see, it will take you down a path of destruction. But the most important part of this story is not how Abram defeated the kings. It's how he responded to the way God had blessed him. You see, the king of Sodom wanted to give man the glory for what God had done. Sodom wanted to take the eyes of everybody and take them off El Elyon and point them down here. He would have taken credit for Abram's success. Sodom wasn't considering God at all in this passage. But Abram, because he had been aligned after his victory and before the temptation, he had been aligned with El Elyon, the possessor, the most high God, the possessor of all in heaven and earth. It, 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 it allowed him to respond in a vertical manner. He wasn't tempted because his eyes were on God. And it's not so much your blessings that indicate your focus, it's your response to them that indicates your focus. After something good happens to you, and whatever you're looking at in that moment, that's where your focus is. It's how you treat the time after success that reveals whether or not you're focused on El Elyon. Listen, if you have the blessings of the Most High God, you don't need the benefits from low sources. If you have the blessings of the Most High God, you don't need all the benefits from these low sources all around you. You either depend on God's blessings or you're looking at the world's benefits. And if you don't believe that the Most High God is all you need, you're going to find yourself seeking answers from the world. Because after the victory and things are going well, and when the temptation comes, if you don't align yourself with the Most High God and a clear view of who God really is, as soon as the temptation comes, you'll probably chase it. And there's a lot to be said here, but your view of God affects everything in your life. And if you don't view him as the most high God, if you view him as somehow insufficient in some way or another, when the temptation comes along, you'll say, well, God's not completely sufficient, so maybe I can find some answers here. And it takes you down a path of destruction. 
You need alignment. Your view of God must be accurate if you're going to resist when the temptation comes. If you don't, it will lead you down a path of destruction. And and now I want to get into some of the application now here. I just want you to understand that your view of the Most High God is the most important thing about you. It's not the battles that you've won. It's not the public things that people see. It's not your leadership. It's not your singing ability. It's not your teaching ability. It is how you view God. Because how you view God will determine how much you chase everything else. If you view that he is all you need, then you don't have a reason to go running after everything else. So what difference does it make? Well, you're either living for Salem or Salem or you're living for Sodom. Your view, your life is either directed by your view of of Salem, a Godward view, or your view of Sodom, which is a horizontal view. Your eyes are focused somewhere. You either live your days looking at God or you live looking at other things. Those living with a Sodom mindset are viewing life through a temporary lens. But those living with a Salem mindset view life through an eternal lens. Someone with a Salem mindset, someone with the right view of God, someone with El Elyon, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, those will stop and thank God for the blessings. See, part of the problem is when we get to this place after a victory and something goes well and there's a blessing, we get here and we just like enjoy it and we forget to get down on our knees and look to heaven and say, wait, God, I wouldn't even have this if it weren't for you and stop and thank God in that moment. And when you don't stop and thank God for the blessings in that moment and you're walking along, then when the temptation comes, you forget that the only reason you succeeded is because God intervened on your behalf. So those that have a Salem mentality will stop and thank God for the blessings. They don't take credit. Those that have a Salem mindset, they give to God in return for his blessings. You know, it's, it's amazing um, how many, and I, and, I don't, and I don't know the numbers. I don't look, and I don't do it on purpose. But I think we'd be surprised at how many people don't give to God as they should. Even members of Eastside Baptist Church as they should. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yet if I stop and think of all that God has done for me, I couldn't help but give it to him. I mean, it's the, it's the natural response and the natural outpouring of my gratitude for what El Elyon, the God of all, all heaven and earth that possesses everything, when I consider what he's really done in my life, I couldn't help but give back. Someone with a Salem mindset views God, uh, our resources as a way to advance God's work, not hoard it for ourselves. Someone with a Salem mindset gives credit to God when things go well. Praise the Lord. It's not about me. Praise the Lord. Someone with a Salem mindset is not self-promoting or self-focused, but someone with a Sodom mindset. They forget to stop and thank God when he gives good and perfect gifts. Uh, Someone with a Sodom mindset, they fail to give God, to give to God in return for his blessings. They hoard what they have to use on themselves. They don't consider what they have to be a blessing to give to other people or for God's work. They take the credit for their successes. They're self-promoting at work and at church and or with people in general. And so I'm asking you today to do an evaluation. Do you live your days with a vertical focus or a horizontal focus? It's time for self-evaluation. Because I'm telling you, in this story, I'd much rather be like Melchizedek than the king of Sodom. So let me give you four questions to ask to help reveal whether you've got a Salem or Sodom mindset. The first is this, who gets the credit? 
When you're blessed, does it dawn on you to stop and thank God? I can't tell you how many times in my own life that God has blessed me with something and it's obvious it's from his hand and I take his blessing and I run with it and I forget to stop and say thank you. And yet with my children, if I ever give them something and, and they take it and start walking away, say, wait, wait a second. What do you say? I say, more. No. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> no, you say thank you. Because God or your parents bless you with something, you should stop and say thanks. And so we teach that to our children. But we as adults sometimes, we forget that every good and every perfect gift comes from heaven comes down from the Father of lights. And, and yet we go about our way and we don't stop and thank him for the blessings. And, and I'm not saying this is wrong at all. Prayer is important. But, but I think we'd be surprised how imbalanced our prayer lives are with the things that we're asking for as opposed to the things we're thanking God for. Because we have a lot to thank God for. Who gets the credit? This is a good indicator of your mindset. When a prayer is answered, do you make it clear that God intervened? Who gets the credit? Do you make sure you get the credit for your role in things? And does it bother you um, if, if someone gets up and thanks people for a role in something and they forget to say your name? Does that bother you? I'm telling you, it does. It bothers us. We're human. And yet... A Salem mindset isn't really concerned about the credit. Abram didn't go about, he didn't talk to Melchizedek and say, wait a second, I'm the one. I mean, these were my guys, these 318, I trained them. I mean, they were mine. We were ready because, because I was ready. No, he wasn't concerned, you know, because he had an accurate view of God. And let me remind you that there were others around him, these Ammonite brothers, this, uh, these pagan worshipers, they were aligned with him in this moment, and, and yet and they were watching to see who got credit. And friend, anything good that you have in your life, make sure you give credit to God for it because there are people watching you. Parents, your children know who gets the credit when there's a blessing in your life. Let me just remind you, I already quoted it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James 1.17. And yet we go around saying, I earned this. I'm self-made. I mean, you should see where I came from. If you knew where I came from, you'd be amazed at how, I mean, at, at how good I'm doing now. You'd just be amazed. No, either God's word is wrong or you are because no good gift and, or perfect gift comes from anywhere except from heaven. You thank God that you wake up and you get up every morning. That you have the health to be in here in this room today. Do you thank God or do you take that for granted? Do you, think, do you thank El Elyon for the health he's given your children? The protection? I mean, close family friends of ours. A young man from the youth group we came from. He's 20 years old. He's, he graduated with Olivia on Friday night. We get a, a call and saying he had been killed in a motorcycle accident. A young man very close to our family. You know, and I, 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 I don't thank God enough for his protection in our lives. I take for granted that, that he takes care of us and that he takes care of our children. And, that, and yet things aren't perfect. It's not like life is just always perfect. But, but I fail to see in the, the little ways every day how much El Elyon is interested in my life. And the possessor the, of heaven and earth, the most high God, doesn't, he never forgets about me. 
He never just leaves me alone to have to deal with it all on my own. No, he's always looking out and he wants to bless me and he wants, he wants to make sure that I have what I need. But so often I fail to give God the credit that he deserves for my spouse and my, my, my beautiful wife, Erin, who, who loves me and, and serves faithfully alongside me. And, and I don't thank God enough for her. I don't thank God enough for the home that I live in and the vehicle I drive and, the, and what I get to do for a living. And yet sometimes, uh, uh, you know, we just need to be reminded that if we, it weren't for God's intervention in our lives, I wouldn't have anything good to show for it. When we just live life and we fail to give credit to God, the most high God, we're just like the king of Sodom. And we're looking at all the stuff around here and we forget that it all came from him. Another question, so who, gives the, who gets the credit? These are questions to evaluate your, your focus. Who gets the credit? It's number one. Number two, where do you turn when you have a need? Abram served the God most high who, who possessed heaven and earth. He didn't need Sodom's goods. You know that God most high who possesses heaven and earth... He still owns the title to all of it. So when you have a need, why would you run to anybody else? When you have a need, do you start telling everybody about it? Do you, I mean, if you stop at Facebook before you get on your knees, and I know I say that too much, but I do think it's important, is that we need to go to God first. Because I, I'm thankful for all the people that pray and, the, and all the prayer requests they get answered because people pray through Facebook. But I do think that we need to make sure that we're taking it to God first. Amen. Just to align ourselves with the one who has the actual answers. So when you have a need, who do you turn to? Do you go to a friend? I mean, do you go to somebody that you trust or somebody that's bailed you out before in some way or another? Do you, do you seek a promotion? Are you looking for ways to just, you know, our finances are tight. I got to go make more money. No, I, or do you go to El Elyon? I mean, he possesses heaven and earth. He possesses everything and he wants to bless his people. So where you turn when you have a need indicates what you're trusting. Number three, what do you live for? I mean, what drives you? What's your motivation? So who gets the credit? Where do you turn when you have a need? But three, what do you live for? If you wake up every day seeking God first, you have a Salem focus. But if you go days and weeks and maybe even months without fostering your communion with the most high God, then you likely are dependent on something down here. You're not focused on Salem. You're focused on Sodom. A young person, if your focus on life is the best job and the most money and you want to get out there and get the nicest this or that and you're thinking, well, I just, I just want to get this degree so I can get this job and I can make this money. And you look around because, you know, everybody else around you has all these things and you want what they have. And listen, that is the wrong way to live. And there are people in this room that would tell you they chased everything else for too much of their lives. And they got down to the, And even if they got it, by the end of it, they're thinking this wasn't even worth it. This didn't f fulfill or satisfy the longing in my heart. I chased it for so long, but it didn't bring the satisfaction that I thought. Those of you who have lived life a little bit, have you found that out to be true? Yes. You chase it, young person, but it will not bring you what you think it will. If you seek God first, though, he'll take care of all your needs. He promises to in Matthew 6. He's El Elyon. He's the most high. He possesses it all. So Christian, are you living for your agenda or do you live for God's? Is it Sodom or Salem for you? 
Number four, this one is an important question. What bothers you? What bothers you? You're going to evaluate what's important to you or where your focus is. Then I'm asking, okay, what bothers you the most? You see, Abram didn't want the king of Sodom to say, I take credit. Think about it. That thought bothered Abram. And most people would say, who cares what he says? Abram, just enjoy the goods. But Abram was a man of conscience. See, it would have bothered him to give credit uh, for somebody to give credit to something other than God. And you ought to be that sensitive in your life. What bothers you? You want to know what kind of mindset you follow? If it's Sodom or Salem, then answer the question, what bothers me the most? You see, we tend to get really bothered if somebody cuts us in line. And we get really bothered if somebody um, overcharges us or if someone says something we disagree with and it's about self. That's a Sodom mentality. It's a horizontal focus. But shouldn't we, we be more bothered by unrighteousness? Shouldn't we be more bothered that our country is abandoning God at a staggering pace? Shouldn't we be bothered that our community is dying without Christ and that our neighbors haven't been invited to church? Uh, that some people maybe that used to be regulars and used to be here, that they're, that they're not here anymore and they haven't been in a long time. Shouldn't that bother us? If you have a Salem focus, a Godward vertical, El Elyon focus, then the things that bother you, most people aren't even on your radar. Yeah, okay, the stock market up and down, that's fine. But listen, I don't live for that. I have a Salem focus. I, I'm looking to heaven. I'm looking vertically. And, and I know that he's the God who possesses everything. So it doesn't really matter what's going on all around me because he doesn't change. He still sits on his throne. He possesses it all. And he has everything I need to meet my needs. So you had a, if you had a, a Salem focus, you'd be far more concerned about souls that have never heard the gospel than you are defending yourself when somebody treats you unfairly. We're moving up at work. Listen, our actions reveal our focus. So is it Salem or Sodom for you? If you have the blessings of the Most High God, you don't need benefits from the low sources. That'd be like saying, okay, if somebody has a steak out here and it's cooked perfectly, medium rare-ish. Somebody's like, I like it well done, I like it crispy. And I'm like, where's the flavor, Okay. I have a bag of charcoal at home. I could just do that. So, you know, medium rare, steak, baked potato, vegetable if you want, whatever. That's fine. But meat and potatoes. And you sit down to eat it. And some little four-year-old kid comes along with a peanut butter sandwich in his hand, kind of smushed up like they do it, and runs by. And he's like, mm, I love peanut butter. So you leave the table and you go chase and pry it from his fingers and eat that nasty peanut butter sandwich. We'd all say, that's ridiculous. And yet Christians are doing that very thing all the time. See, God has provided everything we need. He's El Elyon. He's the most high God. He possesses heaven and earth and he's laid it all out for us to live in the best way to focus on him and he will take care of all of the needs that we have and yet a squishy peanut butter sandwich runs by and we're chasing it. Because in the moment we think, well, that's pretty tempting. Well, see, what happened was from the time that something went well until the temptation, we lost sight of the fact that we serve the God who possesses everything.
And we go chasing things that couldn't even potentially or possibly satisfy us. And what we need this morning is a new glimpse of the Most High God. And that comes when we seek Him through this book. Our own reading, diligently listening when it's taught or preached. When you get a glimpse of the Most High God, let me say this. this. That money you're chasing seems a lot less significant. When you have a glimpse of the Most High God, the goods that you want to acquire look a lot less important. When you have a view of the Most High God, your job promotion feels a lot more empty. When you have a view of the Most High God, it doesn't just affect your, your view of the world's benefits. It also adjusts your view of God's blessings. Because when you have a view of the Most High God, the things only, only El Elyon can do, then that burden that you're carrying will feel a lot less heavy. Because the Most High God has pretty big shoulders. And that health crisis that feels a lot, that feels overwhelming, it seems a lot more manageable because if he possesses everything, he has the power to heal. That wayward one that you're praying for seems a lot more reachable because the Most High God even possesses the power to change the hardest heart. And if you have a view of the Most High God, you begin to realize that the size of your sin doesn't matter to him. Now, sin does matter because it separates you from a holy God, but it doesn't matter how far you've sunk. It doesn't matter how deep you've gone. If he's the most high God and you're still breathing, there's no sin too great for him to forgive you. You'll have to humble yourself, sure, and repent of that sin before a holy God and believe he's the only source of true forgiveness. But if he's the most high God, everything is underneath him, including how big you think your sin is this morning. He can forgive it. The most significant thing about you is not how much money you make. It's not about what position you hold or how big your house is or what car you drive or what public ways you serve here at church. It's not, it's not about how influential you are in this community. It's not the big victories. Those aren't the most important things about you. The most important thing about you is how big you view your God. He's El Elyon. He's the most high. And when you view him correctly, it makes what the world comes along offering. It seems so insignificant. And if this morning we'll simply adjust our view of God, it will change our focus from Sodom to Salem. Horizontal to vertical. And what did he do that for? What did, he, what did that do for Abram? Well, just meant more opportunities for God to bless him. So what will it do for me this morning if I will just strip everything away and get a new view of the Most High God, El Elyon, who possesses heaven and earth? What's it going to do for me this morning? Well, it'll just give God more opportunities to bless you. And who doesn't want that? Listen, I want God's favor on my life. I, I want God's blessings. So if I just simply have to align myself to view him correctly... I'd be more than willing to do that. Because he is everything and I'm nothing. He owns it all and I really don't have anything. So when the world comes along offering me all this other stuff, it's easier for me to say no to the temptation if I've aligned myself right here. And I remember who it is that I serve. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And this morning, I don't know what you're chasing. I don't know what you're, what you're being tempted with. I don't know what you're following after, but if it's anything other than the blessings of God, then you have bought into the lie that the world's benefits can somehow give you what you need. They can't. 
El Elyon, he's the most high God who possesses heaven and earth. And he's on your side. And it's time to be humbled before him. It's time to align ourselves once again with who he is and who we are. And we realize just how low we are compared to him. And that he would want a relationship, that he would want to be close to us. It makes us realize, well, I've been chasing the wrong things. And this morning, whatever you've been chasing, whatever the world has offered you, would you just align yourself again and see God clearly for who he is? He has everything you need. Stop chasing it everywhere else. For those in here that have never received Christ as your Savior, you know, you can be saved this morning. You don't have to leave here wondering where, you're spending, where you will spend eternity. The Most High God sent His Son to die on a cross for your sins. And if you will receive that payment this morning, you can be saved. All you have to do is come forward and talk, come talk to somebody. We'd love to show you from the Bible this morning how you can be saved. For the Christian in here who has not been content with life in some way or another, it's probably because your view of God is inaccurate. And that, that insufficiency you view toward God, you've tried to fill with other things, and it never will. This morning, would you repent of that and get things right so that you can be aligned once again with the Most High God? Father, I pray that you'd have your will and way. Work in us as we know you want to. Speak through this word to us. Change our hearts and help us to be realigned to a proper view of God. In Jesus' name, amen. As Ms. Sherilyn plays, I want to encourage you to take a moment to respond this morning. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.